This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi everyone, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and welcome to A Catholic's Perspective. For those of you just finding this podcast, let me tell you a little about myself. I was born and raised a cradle Catholic until I fell away from the church for eight years. I just recently came back to the church and I could not be happier with where I am today. I am currently a junior in college and I'm studying graphic design. I am an ambassador for multiple amazing Catholic Christian companies and I love working with all of them. Now, some of you may already know me from my popular religious hippie social media channels, such as TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have all kinds of Catholic content on there, so don't forget to go check those out. So the reason I wanted to start a podcast was so that I'd be able to have a longer format which people could listen to from wherever they are. I particularly wanted to address issues that young Catholics face today in the secular world, and I want to do that by providing information along with commentary and even a little of my own opinion. I can't lie, from time to time I might be discussing very controversial issues, and some will find my opinions unappealing. But I do this out of my faith and service to God. We must keep communicating with each other, respecting each other, and put each other on the path to sainthood. I think you'll enjoy the podcasts coming up, and I thank you for being here with me. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. If you're new here, welcome. I'm Amber Rose, also known as the Religious Hippie. And today I have my producer with me, Todd Fisher. Thank you for being here. Hi, how are you today? I'm good, how about you? Pretty good, pretty good. The uh, date we're recording this is actually December 30th. So we haven't spoken really since Christmas. And I think this episode actually comes out on Friday, right? It does. And Friday is the solemnity of Our Lady. It's a holy day of obligation. So don't forget to attend church, you guys. Right, right, right. You'll have to start reminding me of all these like feast days and all of the things. There's so much. I got, you you know, uh, those that know me from my, you know, my other project, my Metatomics world. um, You know, I study a lot of religions around the world. That's what I do. That's kind of my specialty. Um, so because I'm always busy researching other religions and other spiritualities, I sometimes lose track of what's going on in my own religion and Catholicism, which was one of the reasons that I wanted to have this podcast with you is just so I can brush up. So my younger brother got me um, uh, a Catholic study Bible for Christmas, which I think I sent you a picture of yeah, when I got this. So that was my present. So that's like a 1200 pages of goodness I get to go through now. <laughs> really, it's awesome. Really, uh, you know, dig into that. But it's, even that isn't going to give me all the answers and all the questions, all the stuff I still need to remember and know. And uh, every week I get this from you. So it's always fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know when I have to remember like all the solemnities and feast days and everything, I use the USCCB website because they have um, the 2021 liturgical calendars. So every time there is a feast day or something, it's marked on there. And I just kind of put that on my calendar so that I don't have to print out the whole thing. But that's really helpful in remembering those. So that's what I do. Microsoft Outlook needs a plugin that can just immediately put all that stuff in my calendar for me. I agree. I completely agree. If there's anyone from Microsoft out there listening. (laughs) You know, don't be shy. (laughs) Calendar calendar plugin would be nice. It would be very nice. Oh, yes. Especially for all those Catholics out there that are trying to like go from writing it to the computer. And uh, it's a mess sometimes. I I have to color code things into my into my electronic calendars anyways, just so I can keep track of this. So I have this insane color coding system that I use. And it's just like, you know, it's like a quilt of colors for every month I open up and uh, I'm running out of colors. I need something to be automated. I need some kind of. You need like a I, blurple or something. <laughs> I need something that can blurple inform color. me of what I, what I need to know from day to day. 
anyways, yeah. So tell me, so what's coming up January 1st? Tell me about this more. What's so yeah, on Friday, it is going to be the Solemnity of Our Lady. So as I mentioned before, it is a holy day of obligation. So definitely don't forget to attend church on Friday. Well, good, good. I will definitely do that. <laughs> Me too. I'm, so, I'm excited. Uh, today, we're going to do listener emails. Are you ready for that? Yeah, I'm absolutely excited. These are going to be questions from my followers and listeners, and I'm excited to answer their questions. These have come in across uh, not only our um, religious hippie email, but they've come in across social media. So there's a wide range of things here, and I'm going to read these questions for you. Yeah. And um, hopefully you have some answers for these people. Some of these are really interesting, things I don't, I don't know. So I'm very curious to, uh, to hear what you have to say about them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. The first question we have um, is, how do I take up my cross? Ooh, good question. I always find this one difficult because everybody's cross is a different size, honestly. But in general, when it comes to taking up your cross, um, we first need to realize that suffering is a part of our Christian walk in life. We need to accept it without resentment or bitterness, but that's a little bit <laughs> easier said than done. Basically, when you carry your cross, you are accepting anything that God, you know, pushes your way, whether that is a gift or a time of suffering, you turn towards him and you say, God, my life is in your hands. Do with my life what you will, because at the end of the day, our life is God's, you know, he's the only one who has the right to take our life and to give us what we, you know, um, what we have in our life. So we need to thank him even during those rough times when we feel like, Maybe the whole world is caving in on us, but we still need to thank him for it. And, you know, I could probably give an example here where let's say um, God gives you the opportunity to practice patience. I struggled with this a lot when I was in retail because if, I mean, any people out there work in retail, you guys know what, uh, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. So basically a good example of this is let's say you're extremely tired, you had a horrible day at work, you decide to get takeout food, they get your order wrong, and the first thing you want to do is scream at them. Stop, take a breather, you know, try and be, you know, uh, patient and polite about it. And overall, just try not to react on your anger, because a lot of times your anger isn't justified and it's just because you're tired or something. And honestly, we're not perfect. But, you know, the more that we try, the more we become resilient and we grow in virtue. So that was kind of a long explanation, but hopefully that's ans that answered your question. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Let's, uh, let's go to the next one. How to overcome lust. Ooh, I think this is a big one, especially nowadays, because let's face it, it's everywhere. It's on billboards, magazines, TVs, phones, ads. Oh, it's everywhere, honestly. <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to avoiding it, it all comes down to examining your conscience, being self-aware, and your best defense is going to confession. I already, like, I talk about this all the time, but confession is basically a baby exorcism and your sins are forgiven and you're in a state of grace and that makes you more resilient to those temptations. So obviously confession is going to be your best friend. <laughs> um, but another way that you can overcome lust is by removing your lusting temptations. Like if you lust due to people you follow on social media, let's say they're models, swimsuit models, workout people, just immodesty in general, then unfollow them. It's, it's kind of blunt, but it, it's really true. If you're lusting due to because of a TV show, stop watching it. If you lust because of pornography or online sites, get web blockers. I think a lot of time we get in our heads and we try to find ways to be like, oh, it's fine. It's whatever. You know, I don't do it that often. But in reality, we shouldn't be striving to not do it that often. We should be striving to not lust at all. And I know that seems like a big step, 
But if you work on these little steps and you start unfollowing people, getting web blockers, going to confession, getting the sacraments. And another thing I would suggest is start praying the rosary daily, uh, grow in your connection with God, read the Bible. The more we reject sin, the more resilient we become to it. Interesting. Interesting. I, you know, you brought up a lot of different things that you can actually lust over. Mm-hmm. And I actually had never really thought about lusting beyond like an infatuation toward a person or in a sexual way, but you can, you mean you really kind of filled it out here that lust can actually take on a lot of different, a lot of different types of temptations. Yeah. It's everywhere, unfortunately, especially with our sexualized culture. I think it's gone from, you know, I guess back in in the 1900s, women wearing bathing suits that were below their knees, and that was scandalous. And now we have bikini models half-dressed, if that, on billboards everywhere. So it's very odd how it's snowballed so far, but to be resilient to it means we need to start rejecting it. You know, one of the things I like about you and your podcast is you really kind of lead by example. You know, you you're like a lot of people out there, you are going to have your fallible days like others will. What do you find are the temptations for you? What do, what do you particularly find yourself lusting after? I know you did have a lot of like sugar cookies at Christmas time, but I don't think that necessarily falls into this category. What do you find yourself falling victim to, if you don't mind me asking? I'm going to be real with you guys. I lust after other women's bodies because I want to look like that. I want to be taller. I want to be skinnier. I want to have her lips. I want to have her eyelashes. I want to have her hair. And something I had to really kind of drill into myself is that 90% of that woman is fake. 90% of that woman is cosmetics and 90% of that woman is wigs. Okay. There are natural beautiful people out there. There are, and all more power to them. However, and there are people who have amazing bodies because they work hard to do that. There's no diet pill that's going to give you automatic results. There's no magic smoothie that's just going to make you look like a Barbie doll, you know, and that's something I really had to drill into myself, especially since in society, you don't get anywhere in life unless you're pretty or unless you have something to offer, if you know what I mean. And being a teenager growing up in that type of mindset in society because of the movies I used to watch and the music I listened to and the celebrities I followed, that's what I believed. And that's obviously not true at all. You can be beautiful on the inside and the outside. And when you're beautiful on the inside, it shows and you glow on the outside. And, um, you know, that's just something that comes with the sacraments and learning about who you truly are, being a child of God and having confidence in yourself and in your relationship with the creator. But that is one that I have struggled with and do still struggle with quite a bit because I will see these models and I'm just like, and I'll look at my legs and I'm like, Ooh, I'm short. So <laughs> um, <laughs> just uh, stretch me out a little longer, please. But you know, we're all beautiful in our own ways. And in general, I know society tries to say like different is better and stuff like that, but it's, it's an underlying message. It's kind of like a backhand to your face because even though they say it, it's a lie. They don't mean it. They're just like, okay, yeah, you can do this, this, and this, but you have to have 10 pounds of makeup on and you have to look like this and you got to do this and stuff. And it's just one of those things where it always irritated me that we have to go through this as women and even men. I know men struggle with that as well. You know, they see these buff macho guys on Instagram and they're just like, and then they're like, my arm is a noodle. So (laughs) I understand that perspective too, but I think it affects women a little bit more because we tend to be a little bit more nitpicky about our appearances. But in general, that is probably the biggest issue I've had. Right, right. Well, good, good. I'm glad you answered that. I was very curious. Yeah, it's a big one. It's a big one. How do you deal with hate when you veil? When I veil, so... Honestly, I've never actually dealt with hate due to veiling. Um, I've gotten some some weird stares and I've gotten some odd, you know, looks. But most girls at my parish veil and we see it more as a devotion. So the hate that I usually see usually comes from the Norvis Ordo parishes. 
And at least in my experience, when I started, um, I used to go to a Norvis Ordo Parish and I'd get all these weird looks and stuff. And from what I understand from people who are upset about women who veil, it's they, they view veiling as like a threat almost, which is very weird. Um, but basically they think that we think that we're better than everyone else because we veil, which isn't the case at all, of course. Um, but I do believe the hate comes from the people who feel conviction. I think that's where most hate comes from. And maybe they don't see it or realize it, but I believe that's one of the things that it could potentially be. Um, I've met a few people who are just like purely air, like ignorant and they think that when women veil, they're suppressed. And maybe in some religions, but for us, we view it as a devotion and we think it's very beautiful. Um, and I don't think some people understand the significance behind it. And they could probably use some more information about the matter. But overall, um, when dealing with hate, I think, you know, people can just be rude in general. So remember to pray for them. The people who are least worthy of our prayers probably need them the most. So when it's possible, never pass up an opportunity to teach about, you know, veiling, why you veil, um, you know, your personal opinion on it. That's great too. Um, but honestly, just education in general can lead to a lot of great discussions if the person is open-minded enough to talk about it. Good, good. We have an email that asks what your goals for the rest of 2020 and 2021 are. I have so many. Well, technically now it would technically be 2021. Yeah. But um, like personally, I have quite a few goals. So I want to continue growing in education with the church history. Um, I want to get better at realism drawing. I'm very abstract with my art. I like to be creative with colors and everything, but actually being able to draw something and make it look realistic is something I've always struggled with because I like to design cartoons and flowers and things of that nature. So I might try and do that a little bit more. Um, I really want to learn how to make like like a homemade bath bomb, like bombs and balms. <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> and like soaps and like things like that, just because A, it can save money, but also I think it would just be a cool skill to learn. And also I could create my own bath bombs so that I could put my own scents in them and stuff like that. I could literally have unlimited bath bombs. Like who, like what female does not want that? And, Honestly. <laughs> and, and for the FBI that's listening, she did say bath bombs. Yeah, we there's a dash specify there. That. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there is a dash there. <laughs> uh, I love bath bombs. Um, but besides that, I do want to become better at prayer journaling. I do keep a prayer journal. And while I enjoy it, I am not always consistent. And a lot of the times I will write for like a week and then it goes on my shelf and I forget it exists. So in order to do that, I want to start putting it places where I will see it more often. And I'll remember like, oh yeah, I have to prayer journal or I want to prayer journal. And um, I think that's really important to um, something also I've really been intrigued the last few months is actually ballet. And I used to be a ballerina when I was younger, when I was a kid, but, um, and this is not like I was very good, but I still liked it. <laughs> um, but I've been really intrigued by like Swan Lake and the Nutcracker and things like that. Cause I used to go see those plays when I was younger. And so I've really been kind of interested in watching more ballet and you know learning the different types and just kind of learning about it it's it's one of those hobby things where I don't know if I could really do it but I'd like to learn about it um so that's kind of that <laughs> um but as for some other thing other goals that I have um I want to get to know our lady better so I bought some more books um, which is basically a year with Our Lady where you go through um, every day and you read scripture and you spend time meditating with Our Lady, which is really awesome. I want to attend mass three times a week for like at least a month just for, um, I don't know, spiritual benefits, purposes, and kind of just a new challenge, you know, try to go to mass more often than just Sunday. Cause even though Sunday is a holy day of obligation and we should be going and everything like that. And that is the one day we go, I still feel like we should 
go more often, you know, even when it isn't a holy day of obligation or, um, you know, a Sunday. So that's kind of like another thing I've been trying to integrate. I also want to learn more about the early church fathers and get more involved in my parish. At my parish, we can cook um, meals for the priests and we can do stuff like that. And I really want to kind of get into that a little bit more. And of course, I want to continue evangelizing on social media, YouTube, and podcasting. So those are kind of my main goals. I'm probably going to write them down, print them out, laminate them, stick them somewhere where I can see them so that I don't forget because I'm a very forgetful person. It's not good. (laughs) And all the fans out there, be sure to prompt her via social media messages and emails to make sure she keeps doing this. (laughs) Remind me, just in case. (laughs) Could we expect any, um, I don't know, uh, religious hippie uh, products that might come out, maybe? Possibly, yeah. <clears throat> Possibly some Bibles, rosaries, something like that in the future, yeah. It would be great. I think the fans would be interested in that. Give yeah, us feedback, I... what you would like to see the religious hippie put her name on. T-shirts, everywhere. Just everywhere T-shirt. T-shirts. <laughs> that would be <laughs> the just They just have your .com address on it. That's all they say. <laughs> That would be hilarious. White shirts, black print. It'll be simple. Oh, yes. The next question is, um, what is the story of the scapular? Ooh, one of my favorite stories. So, okay. So I'm going to give this summary because it's actually a pretty long story. And if I was to actually tell you the whole story, we would probably be here for like 30 minutes. So uh, basically the story goes like this. On July 16th, 1250, um, 1251, this was a Sunday, Our Lady appeared to St. Simon. Uh, he was um, St. Simon Stock in Cambridge, England. Um, and she appeared to him as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So Our Lady gave St. Simon the scapular and said, take beloved son, this scapular of thy order as a badge of my con- mm, confraternity? Confraternity, yeah. I know how to I know how to say that word. <laughs> and for thee and all Carmelites, a special sign of grace. Whoever dies in this garment will not suffer everlasting fire. It is a sign of salvation, a safeguard in dangers, a pledge of peace and of the covenant. So Our Lady gave a special promise um, of protection to all the members of the Carmelite order and a special grace to those who in the hour of death wear the scapular. This is so that they will not go to hell, but rather be taken to heaven on the first Saturday after death. Now, it's important to remember that this is not a get into heaven ticket or a get out of hell card. (laughs) This is a devotional and like such, we need to treat it like one. So there are prayers that go along with it. There are, you know, it's a devotional. So don't view it as like, you know, a monopoly get out of jail card. (laughs) That's not what this is. There are still, you know some devotions to it. Did you have more? No, no, that was it. That was my little summary. I thought I had more, but then I was just like, no, I think that basically summed everything up I wanted to say. No, that's good. I'm I'm not familiar with that at all. So I'm actually going to look into it more. I've got to, I've got to get to the bottom of more things like this that I hear about for the first time with you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, it's super exciting to learn new things but in general I feel like the scapular along with like Our Lady of Fatima even though they're known they're not like well known and even like so like Our Lady of of Our Lady of Carmel she um she was the one who gave the scapular and people know the apparition they know the Marian apparition but they don't know the story behind it so I think it's really cool to be able to give that little summary and kind of explain the important parts. And then if people want to dive deeper into it and everything like that, they can definitely do that. This next question is a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. How do I become a saint? Ooh, <laughs> all right. That, I mean, they're like, okay, there's hundreds of answers to this. Um, obviously sainthood is what we want to strive for because that means we go to heaven and become intercessors for other people on earth, you know, just as the saints are for us. Anyone who makes it to heaven is a saint. Um, so I've basically narrowed it down to a few main things, um, in order to become a saint, even though there are 
other things you can do, you know, in between it, but these are like some of the main ones. So one of the first things we need to do is we need to strive for truth, the real truth. So not our truth, but God's truth. We need to, we need to engage in the truth by engaging in knowledge and we need to immerse ourselves in scripture, the catechism and good Catholic books, even, um, you know, devotional prayers, saint autobiographies, writings and apologetic books are great for this. Um, second, we need to submit ourselves to God's will. Obviously, this is easier <laughs> said than done for a lot of us these days, but basically we need to speak our fiat as our lady did. We need to start saying yes to God and you will see the amazing changes he can make in your life. Um, of course, this is always difficult because I know sometimes it might be scary because we don't always have the best um, trust in God, especially in today's society. I feel like there are very few people that actually trust him, but I think it's a good thing to start doing. And honestly, it'll gain trust. It really will, because no matter what, he is there with you and he is willing to see you through every step of your life. And he's there holding your hand. It's just, you have to say yes to him because he knows what's best for you. And then <laughs> thirdly, we need to live out our faith. So we need to read about it, but not just read about it. We also need to act on it because just reading about it isn't going to get us anywhere. The best way to learn is by experience. So practicing charity and helping in a soup kitchen or practicing patience or learning something new is going to do a lot more good than just reading about it. Obviously, reading about it is important. Like I mentioned um, in the first thing, we need to you know immerse ourselves in good Catholic books and devotional prayers, but we also need to act it out you know, in our everyday lives. Otherwise people are just going to be like, well, what's so different about you? You know, you're not that much different from me. And it's true. We're not much different from each other. However, the way we live our lives out can totally change somebody's mind about Christianity. So I think that's really important. And in general, you know, mother Teresa, she lived out her faith boldly. Like she was right there helping, you know, the poor, the sick, the needy. And we really need to tap into that. And live out our sainthood basically and now obviously we can strive for sainthood by honoring god in our everyday life and asking for help from the saints and our lady but i've noticed most of this um but obviously we need to really take our own um kind of path because even though there are so many saints and they're all diverse and everything um no one saint is alike. They're really not. So we really need to figure out where God is calling us and saying yes to him. Good, good. Great answer. Thank you. <laughs> so um, the next one kind of, I think, um, related to an earlier question we had, but why do you veil? So, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> I have a few, like a few reasons but I'll list my main reasons. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> um, but basically, one of my main reasons is because it follows Our Lady's example of obedience, humility, dignity, modesty, and submission to God. It's also biblical. If you, if you um, go throughout the Bible, you will find almost every single woman in that Bible covering their heads. Um, some examples of this is Genesis 24, six, uh, 64 through 65. Uh, Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. So it's been um, a form of modesty for many, many, many years. Another example of this is... 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 6. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every uh, and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaven, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her or her head shaved then she should cover her head. I know that seems like super like wear your veil or die kind of thing, but you have to 
remember that this was, <laughs> you know, back in the day. So um, I like to follow that example, but also before Vatican II, it was actually a requirement for women to cover their heads with a scarf, veil, or hat of some kind um, when in the presence of the Eucharist. Personally, I might get some hate for this, but I still think it should be required. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I know, but I personally do. Um, the heart of the Catholic Church, honestly, is the altar, you know, and we can see by example that it is always veiled and the tabernacle is also always veiled. And in general, it's just like I said, it's a sign of humility, dignity, submission, modesty, obedience to God. And he gave us this inner femininity and we need to embrace that. And I have some other reasons, but that might be for another time because <laughs> those are a lot. <laughs> right, right. Good. All good stuff. Very interesting. Thank you. <clears throat> it's a, interesting to me that how religion can uh, influence fashion in a way. I mean, I, I hate to use fashion, particularly from a historical perspective, but really fashion has really been around a long time. Yeah. Even if it was utilitarian, there was still some semblance of, uh, there was a point where we quit walking around as naked human beings to clothing ourselves and right. that clothing evolved, you know, to what we have today. For sure. And I mean, veiling ourselves is very symbolic as women because we are basically showing that we are the brides of Christ. We are the brides of the church. And so when we veil, we are, you know, it's, it's almost a sign of like, you know, we are like brides of Christ, brides of the church. So it's very interesting to see how my generation actually is coming back in veiling a lot, even at the Norvis Ordo masses. Now I have been getting so many DMS from young Catholics, younger than 15 they're like 12 and they're just like, I want to start veiling, but I go to Norvis Ordo. How do I not seem so presumptuous or like, hey, look at me, I'm veiling. Cause you know, Norvis Ordo, usually you don't see veils. And I, t I always tell them, I'm like, try to get a veil that matches your hair color the best. That's what I did for the longest time. I ended up getting really darker, obviously colored haired um, veils. And you can get browns, you can get light blondes or whatever. That way it's less noticeable, but you can still practice veiling, if that makes sense. Yeah. And even beyond that, you, you, the influence that religion has had on, for instance, where it came from historically on why mm -hmm. priests would wear robes or the purpose of what a nun would wear. Like, it was really interesting to me. And also just the... I think, and we've had this discussion probably on a past podcast, but also personally about just how disrespectful it is the way people dress in church today anyways, mm -hmm. and just sort of that, um, that type of thing that you should get dressed up when you go to church. And exactly. It's so it's interesting to me, the influence that religion has on so many of those things. Um, so let's move on to the next question. Someone asks, what's your favorite Catholic movie and why? Ooh, I have so many. Um, <laughs> honestly, my favorite movie would have to be The Song of Bernadette, the original one, the black and white one. I don't know if they did a remake or anything like that, but the, the old ones are always the best, whether it's the Fatima movie or whatever it might be. The old Catholic movies are usually the most accurate. They don't try to intrigue people with fancy visuals or anything. They're just there to actually tell the story. I honestly like it, though, because, um, you know, it, it actually encompasses what truly happened that day at Lourdes. And overall, I mean, it was just a top notch movie, the acting, the portrayal and how accurate it was. Um, the filming was great, even though, you know, during that time, they didn't really have great film equipment and they stay true to the original story which I think is super important because a lot of movies especially today are altered and even though they're small details they are still important details um, for example the new Fatima movie that just came out in 2020 um, they changed certain things they had our lady walk to the children that never happened she stayed on the cloud and little things like that even though I know it 
doesn't seem like that big of a deal for somebody who's really into her Catholic faith and knows what happened. And these are super important because these are actual Marian apparitions. When, when a director or something gets something wrong or tries to make it different, I kind of flip <laughs> because I'm just like, why did you change it? There's why did she need to walk to them? There was no reason that she needed to walk to them. Like there was this whole thing. Um, but that, that was just, okay, I digress. <laughs> but um, I just, I really prefer the old Catholic movies where there was no ulterior motive. They literally just wanted to share the story. And um, honestly, I think the Song of Bernadette did that beautifully. Also the Bells of St. Mary. Um, and a couple other honorable mentions would be The Sound of Music, even though it's not specifically said to be a Catholic movie. I mean, come on, there's nuns, the beautiful like church where um, Fraulein Maria and the captain got married. Like there were Catholic little, you know, pieces here and there. And it was just- There awesome. were also Nazis. Yeah, that part too. But you know, <laughs> we can just we can just cut that part out. <laughs> this is this is the next podcast, actually, what we're getting into right now. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. We did. And, uh, did I Jesus mean, Christ Superstar the movie make your list? <laughs> I haven't watched that since I was like six, and honestly, I'm tempted to rewatch it just to see if it's actually good or if it's like heretical. I'm not sure. Well, uh, the next podcast in two weeks, you and I get into, actually, it's almost a double-sized episode. We get into talking about Christian entertainment versus secular entertainment. Yes, so we, we have do. a big discussion about, about all of these things. And we talk about a lot of movies and television and film today. Um, so we'll save some of this for, for the next one. Yeah. But let's move on to the next question. Okay. Um. Why did you start attending the church you currently attend? Oh, good question. I actually just did a whole YouTube video kind of about this sort of, but um, so I used to attend a Norvis Ordo parish near me. You've heard me mention that already. <laughs> um, and it was basically like a childhood parish. We kind of commuted between two. We went to this Norvis Ordo parish and then we went to a traditional Latin mass parish, you know, um, which was a little farther away. So my issues at this parish started with the secular youth group. Um, and they basically had a lot of issues with um, traditional values and things like that. They made it extremely clear that my traditional values of, you know, not being okay with contra contraception or abortion, um, they weren't okay that I was you know, no Eucharist in the hand that I was purely, you should be kneeling and have, receiving on the tongue. They weren't okay that I thought you should only be um, wearing like dresses or whatever to church and not pants, even though we talked about that before. But basically that's kind of where it started. Um, I also had an issue with the Eucharistic ministers. I had an issue with the no reverence for the Eucharist at this specific parish. I have seen people drop the Eucharist. I have seen people step on the Eucharist. I have seen people literally pop it into their mouths like a piece of popcorn. I have seen it all at this parish. Um, I've been pushed out of communion line because people were rushing to go up front. Um, and you know, whenever I, whenever I met people there, it was like they weren't even Catholic. They didn't know why they were Catholic. They didn't know their Catholic values. They didn't know what it meant to be Catholic. Um, and honestly, the turning point was when our group leader took us to a Buddhist temple um, as a youth group outing to meditate with a Buddhist. And um, that's not good. <laughs> That is a grave sin. It was very weird. I hated the entire thing. I did not participate. Um, it was awful, honestly. And I don't know why they allowed that. That should never have been an option. And they still um, they still try to push yoga and all this very self-centered stuff on the young generation. And um, it's not Catholic at all. Um, but besides that, there was also this time when we were in a youth group and the priest came to us and was just like, what do you want to change about the church? And which should never be a thing. Why on earth would you ask secular children, I'm calling them children for a reason, what they want to change in 
a faith that Jesus Christ created himself in 33 AD. Like what even? And one of the women said that she wanted uh, women priests. Another one said that abortion shouldn't be an issue and should be supported by Catholics and contraception shouldn't be that big of a deal and all of this stuff. Along with that, there was just a lot of support of sin. And as a person just coming back into her faith, it negatively impacted me knowing that my traditional values were not welcomed. Um, I couldn't share my views in fear of causing these people to hate me, which was very real. And in general, I literally could see some of them clenching their fists in like a blind rage. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to shut up now before I get punched in the face. So in general, I left and I found my traditional childhood church, which is the one I currently attend. And while I still didn't get along with some people there, many of the people there, um, besides a select few, <laughs> had the same traditional values as I did. And I was welcomed in. I also love the priests and how passionate they are about Catholicism at my church. It really helps me that I know they're um, grounded in the Catholic faith and they don't give us what we want to hear. They tell us what we need to hear. And I think that's super important because you could tell me what I want to hear all day long and it's never really actually going to offer any spiritual growth to me until I get slapped in the face with the truth. And that's what causes change. That's what causes conversion and conviction. And that's what I was hungry for. And the other parish I was attending was just like, oh, just be who you are. Be whatever you want to be. It's okay if you feel this way. Don't worry. And in a sense, I do believe that therapy is needed in certain areas, but it needs to be Catholic-based therapy. It shouldn't be like, oh, let's go to a Buddhist temple and meditate as a Catholic retreat. That's not okay. Um, and that's just basically one of the reasons out of a couple as to why I started attending the traditional Latin mass. Interesting. I, I want to ask you a couple questions about this. Yeah. So when you, when you left your first church, how old were you? Um, that would have been 2000 and... 19 so i would have been i would have tech like a year ago probably okay gotcha. i just okay. started attending the traditional latin mass in uh, may of 2020 gotcha okay and then when you were younger you were you what was what was your childhood like did your parents have you going to church like what was that part of you oh yeah we were very much so a very devout Catholic family. We went to church, we prayed the rosary, we would constantly have Catholic get-togethers with other Catholic families, we would have was that, picnics. Was that in the same church that you just left or a different one? No, this was actually a separate group of people. We didn't really all attend the same church. Mm -hmm. um, this was more like an, in, an outside of church type of thing, but we would attend church every Sunday. And like I said, we would commute between the Norvis Ordo and the traditional Latin church. Um, that one was just, the traditional Latin mass was just a lot farther away than the Norvis Ordo one. So if we were running late, we would have to go to the Norvis Ordo. Gotcha. Okay. I see. Yeah. I, I often wonder about that, you know, uh, when we, you know, when I was growing up, there were three Catholic churches in the small town that I grew up in and uh, proximity was important. You went to the one that was closest to you was part of why the, how the choice was made, but you just kind of always, in, you know, small town, Indiana, you kind of just went to the church that your parents took you to that all your relatives went to, you know, unless right. there was a marriage that shifted or changed something, it was, that's just how it was generationally. Right. And the only change that's happened to that now in my hometown is, um, is, is there's just not enough priests to handle the three churches now. So mm -hmm. they kept all three churches open, but there's one priest that actually alternates between the three churches and they'll have different services during the week at the different places. So not a lot of choice right. in when you get into, but considering this small town I grew up in and how many churches that it had within such a small, um, you know, square mileage of the actual city was really kind of incredible. And why I grew up with so much religion around me, because there were, you know, 54 churches in, you know, seven square miles, like a really 
it's and also two headquarters of international churches in this small town so it was really kind of a crazy situation for me and that it had that a small town like that would even have three catholic churches was already you know interesting enough but um but in new york you know all kinds of opportunities to go to any number of different things but i'm always curious about you know that influence do people often uh, do people think that they can move to different churches do uh, my younger brother likes to go to all different types of churches he'll drive four counties away to attend um a mass at a particular church and then go to a different one or one that's open 24 hours if he wants to go at midnight so he picks and chooses all of these different things and I wonder if a lot of people just stay with the one they've always been in because that was the one they were accustomed to when they were young like uh, does that make any sense where I'm going with this like yeah it definitely does I think a lot of the times um people do stick with what they know However, I have noticed from a lot of my Norvis Ordo friends who are able to attend a traditional Latin mass, even though um, there are some that aren't like this, but from a majority of my Catholic friends who have started attending TLM, they said that they felt like they were, they literally were missing out on something from their childhood. Like the traditional Latin mass just offered them so much more spiritual connection and reverence that the Norvis Ordo just never gave them. And that is just something that a lot of my friends have brought up to me and they're just like, you know, you inspired me to go to the Nor like the traditional Latin mass. And I feel like I've been gypped like my whole life. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, go, go to the traditional Latin mass. We have fun here. <laughs> but um, do, you, do you think it's important that people go from church to church in one church? If you stay there with any length of time, you will develop kind of a, a spiritual community within that mm -hmm. church um you know you'll meet people there you'll know other families you know kids can grow up knowing each other like there's certainly a family environment that happens within the church system you can expand on that and even grow a larger religious community by attending other churches would you say or do you think they're they're pretty contained and like to be how they are individualistically no yeah i definitely agree with that i mean the thing is is that we there are there are so many different rites of the you know of Catholicism there I go to the Latin rite but there are so many different ways that the mass can be performed like in Africa they can literally be there for three hours and instead of offering money during the you know when they walk around with the baskets they offer fruit and they offer food um and that's in Africa I believe or yeah or Uganda one of the two anyway and so basically it never hurts to go to a new parish even if it's just to check it out it's really not that bad that big of a deal I know that we made more connections with families at the traditional Latin mass than we did at the Norvis Ordo um but from my experience you need to go where I don't I don't know that sounds so weird I don't want to say you need to go where you feel more spiritually connected to God because it's his house and it's you know the church but if you feel like they are treating Jesus Christ irreverently at the Norvis Ordo and that's damaging your relationship go to the traditional Latin mass because they don't do that there right. um and things like that so it's one of those things where I think it can definitely grow communities and i would definitely push people like if you're a traditional latin mass goer test out the norvis ordo like don't test it out but you know just go and maybe you like it other times maybe you'll see why you respect the traditional latin mass more and if you go to the norvis ordo check out the traditional latin mass maybe you don't like it but maybe it'll kind of spark a little, you know, spiritual thing inside of you. And you'll be like, wow, I really love this. You know, it, it's good. very different from person to person. Yeah. Well, good. That's a great answer. So we're out of questions. So we've wrapped this Q and a up. I appreciate <laughs> everyone that sent these in. Um, and I'll just kind of repeat what we always say at the end of the show, but you, if you have a question that you want Amber to uh, answer on air, you can send, um, you know, she's obviously on a million social media platforms, so you can reach her through there. But also um, the email that we use uh, for uh, her podcast is the religious hippie at gmail.com. So certainly send in uh, any questions that you want her to answer. 
and we'll be doing more of these. Um, usually just every couple months we'll do Q and A's as we get enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think this do would you be wanna, really fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as we said, for the next, the next podcast, we get into a conversation about entertainment. So that'll be fun. That's coming up on, I think the 15th of January. And uh, do you want to take us out with, uh, with a verse reading for this one? Yeah, absolutely. So as you guys know, this podcast coming out on Friday, which is the Solemnity of Our Lady. So I just wanted to read the gospel from the mass, which is going to be said on Friday. So this is Luke 2, 16 through 21. So they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about the child. All who heard it were amazed that were amazed by what had been told told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So that is the gospel for today, technically for Friday. So. Well, great. All yeah. right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. And thank you, Todd, for being here and doing this with me. It was a lot of fun. No problem. We'll do it again. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Do you have questions or comments about today's episode? Email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with Amber Rose, The Religious Hippie. Please be sure and rate and review this podcast. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Be sure to like and follow The Religious Hippie on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, or visit her official website at thereligioushippie.com. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. And be sure to visit metatomics.org to see our listings of other unique podcasts.